This is y nada más a Real Madrid Podcast. everybody what is going on this is the Inada Mas podcast and uh, I am your host Eric Rivera and uh, we're back we're back again um, it's been about a week uh, and a half since I did the podcast last uh, once again I was trying to do um, some stuff uh, to get back and do it again um, I think I was trying to get a I was going to try to do a semi-final one But, uh, you know, I've been in and out. I've actually gone on vacation when my family just came back from Disney this weekend. Uh, it's crazy hot here in Florida. And what I wanted to do was obviously I wanted to do a show where, you know, we're going to review. I was thinking about doing it, you know, after the semifinals had occurred. And then I was, you know, then I had to leave. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to check out, uh, once I got back from Disney, I was going to be able to see both of the games. I was going to be able to see the final of the Copa America between Argentina and Brazil. And then I was going to be able to see uh, today's game, which I am recording this on Sunday. Uh, I was going to be able to see today's game, uh, which has already obviously ended, between Italy and England. Um, so, you know, I guess obviously that's one of the things we're going to talk about in this show. Um, yes, we are a Real Madrid podcast, and uh, we didn't really have any Real Madrid players aside from uh, the three players that were on the Brazilian team who did not, um, I guess, do well um, with the Brazilian team. Uh, but besides that, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, that's just kind of where it's been with, with Real Madrid, I guess. Um, uh, you know, I don't really... I follow the teams for the players. I don't really care, you know, at that point. You know, I, I like to see them win, of course. But, um, you know, I'm more uh, pulling for the teams that uh, that I like, you know. So, um, so anyway, you know, before we get started, obviously, guys, follow us at Inadamas Podcast. You see it there on the ticker. Once again, this is my second, second video podcast. So if you guys are listening to us on... Um, you know, on your phone, on your smartphone, or you're listening to the podcast, the audio only version, please remember that you can just look at, you can also look us up now on YouTube at Inadamas, Inadamas podcast, and you can now find the video version of the podcast, which is what I'm doing now. And I'm going to start doing that for every single version of the podcast from now on. Uh, unless of course something, you know, uh, happens like my camera breaks or some technical difficulty, uh, that we can't surpass. But at this point, um, we really do want to start adding the, the video part of the podcast because I think, uh, you know, some people find it interesting. Some people like it. Some people listen to watch things on YouTube and it's another way to get in contact with, um, other, other fans, you know, so other Real Madrid fans, but this will not be as much of a Real Madrid podcast because we're not going to really talk that much about Real Madrid. We're going to talk a little. We're going to talk about uh, the Euros, of course, Copa America, of course. Uh, my my thoughts on you know the the games and everything that happened, and um, and then kind of see you know where things are going to go with with uh, Real Madrid from here. Obviously, there's been some some developments, of course, since I did the last podcast. 
But um, with that said, remember, like I said, follow us at Inadamas Podcast um, on Facebook, on Twitter. Also follow us, follow, follow us at Inadamas, sorry, YNM Podcast on Instagram. Um, I am most active on Twitter. You can also follow us at inadamas.net, which is our website. That is where my good friend Trombach, who is basically uh, my assistant at this point in the sense of he is the senior contributor contributor for the page. He will be joining us uh, for a podcast uh, probably next week or the ne- following week as I start getting you know back into the swing of things here. Um, and as, of course, the, the, the season begins to start taking shape, now that uh, you know many of our players are going to return from international duty, are going to return from their much-needed vacation and their much-deserved vacations, um, and then start training, and we will see what happens with Real Madrid. Um, besides that, guys, you can also follow us, uh, of course, everywhere podcasts are found, which are Apple Podcasts, Spotify, <clears throat> wherever you're listening to right now. I'm sure that is where you like to listen to the podcast. If you are following us on Apple Podcasts, please make sure to leave us a comment. Make sure to, uh, you know to also leave us a rating as that helps us grow in the podcasting uh, library that is Apple Podcasts. It's the largest, of course, but we are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, um, iHeartRadio app for those of you that are in the United States. Tune in, uh, you name it. I think we're pretty much everywhere. So shout out to all of you guys that have been following us. I really appreciate it. Um, I have been jumping back on Twitter, of course, during the entire Euros and during time during the Copa America. So let's go into that a little bit. So Copa America for me. Um, you know, there's a lot of bit, a lot of stuff has been talked about the Copa America in the sense that um, it wasn't the greatest tournament. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to crap on Messi because uh, I do, I, I kind of do hate the entire uh, the fanboyism that there is of of Messi and um, Ronaldo to a point where people just act like freaking children and can't admit that these two guys are pretty much at this point so far above their peers that there is really nobody else that we can really say compares to them. Um, and to say one is better than the other, uh, sure, it could be a preference. I I happen to prefer Cristiano, but of course, because I am a Madridista and it's, he was my favorite player. And I love Messi, but I just hate the fact that he, you know, um, was with Barcelona. <laughs> you know, it was just the, the idea of the rivalry. But... Um, had he been in any other team, I think, you know, I would probably have followed his career and think that he is an absolute fantastic player because he is one. And, um, you know, I just think the Copa America at this point, it, it used to be every four years or three years, I believe. And, uh, you know, it's gone. It, it, they've changed it so much recently. So there's been a lot of talk about whether it was done because, you know, Messi had they wanted Messi to eventually get one um, to win it or whatnot to win an international trophy with the Argentina team. Um, who knows? I don't know. Um, I don't think it really went that way for, for this, in this, um, in this version of, you know, the Copa America. I just think this Copa America was atrocious. Uh, and I am, um, I am from Colombia. I am Hispanic. And you could say, oh, was I, was I pissed off because, you know, um, Colombia lost Argentina. And I really wasn't at all. Um, you know, I think the game, uh, we had a lot of chances as uh, the Colombian team had a lot of chances to win the game, did not put away their chances. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, made a mistake, made mistakes in the penalty shootout. And eventually that's what cost us, uh, I think, the game also against Argentina anyway. So they moved on and we did not. Um, I would say as a Colombia fan, we seem to always fall to, um, I think Argentina and Brazil are the two teams that always cause us um, a great deal of pain for, for Colombia in recent years. We just haven't been able to beat those two teams as those are to the two greatest teams, obviously, in South America, along with Uruguay. But um, they have been kind of like the 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 black beast, you can say. Um, La bestia negra, as, as you know, Spanish, uh, you know, Spanish media likes to call certain teams that just have always been a, a tough for uh, certain teams. You know, La bestia negra for Real Madrid for a long time was Bayern Munich. For Colombia, it's uh, really been Brazil, um, and it's always been sort of Argentina. There was a, I think there was more of a heated rivalry with Argentina many years ago when we had the you know famous Cinco a Cero, the famous five nothing, um, that uh, that uh, you know sent Colombia. That was kind of our golden years with Pibe Valderrama and and um, you know uh, Andres Escobar, rest in peace, Asprilla. Tren Valencia, you know, all of these fantastic players where Colombia got to, got to a point where almost it was, you know, they were the number one ranked team in the world at one point. Um, that was our golden generation. And, you know, we were able to eliminate, I mean, sorry, we were able to beat Argentina 5 nothing and qualify for USA 1994 and then just crashed out of that spectacularly. But of course, um, if you have seen, um, there's a really great documentary, 30 for 30 on ESPN it's called the two Escobars. And it talks about Andres Escobar, not related to Pablo Escobar, but Andres Escobar's assassination after the 1994 world cup and how that tied in with a lot of the things that were going on with, with narco football, they called it, or, you know, the, the, the football that was going on in Colombia that was tied to the drug trade. And, uh, you know, the success that it caused, but also the problems that it was causing as players were uh, being threatened to death, were being threatened. And, at, uh, at, uh, you know, as, as uh, evidenced by Andres Escobar's murder um, at some point, you know, it was all being sort of like it was a chess match. It was a, a game for, uh, for the cartels to pretty much play with the lives of these, these football players. Um, so that was our golden generation. And then ever since then, you know, I have always held on to this rival with, with Argentina, but that's because I grew up with that. Um, so I've always disliked the Argentina national team. Um, and then more so, I think, obviously, being a, a Madridista, um, just not wanting Messi to get those so that we could kind of always laugh at Barcelona. But it wasn't really about Messi himself. Um, but when uh, with Colombia, you know, Colombia got... Um, are you know the best performance that we def we had was obviously during the the uh, the real World Cup. I mean the uh, sorry the Brazil World Cup, and um, obviously our performance there and the performance of Jaime Rodriguez at that point and in that time when he was really at his best. Falcao, well Falcao was was injured in that World Cup, so James was the one who came out and became sort of the savior of Colombia at that point, and we did our best uh, performance in that World Cup. And that was all under um, Peckerman. Our coach was uh, was uh, Jose Peckerman, um, who was you know is from Argentina. So I think that really kind of uh, made it not so much a, a rivalry with Argentina, and that 
Brazil World Cup really brought a sort of the game with Colombia where Neymar gets injured and where, you know, there was uh, for many Colombians a dubious call on Mario Alberto Yepes's goal being disallowed for being offside um, when it didn't look like it was offside, which would have tied the game and allowed us to, you know, continue on into extra time. Um you know, those were the things that kind of kind of soured the relationship. You know, I think between Brazil and uh, well, the Brazil fan base and Colombia, and it sort of became a very, very, uh, you know, very, very tense rivalry there. Although, you know, I don't think Brazilians see it that way. Brazilians will probably always look at Argentina as the the top rivalry. But um, so anyway, I mean that that's just kind of the way that I always look at football because I look at through it through the Colombia lens and I look at Copa America, but. This Copa América was just, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have to take into consideration that, you know, there was a lot of talk. I saw it on Twitter, a lot of talk from you guys, obviously, about how terrible the games were, the pitches, the, you know, just the football. I mean, it it really did um, not do South American football a, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't look good. But you have to take into consideration also that the, the fact was that Argentina and Colombia were going to host this World Cup. I mean, sorry, this um, Copa America, not World Cup, this Copa America together. They were going to, you know, host it simultaneously. Um, essentially, some games were going to be held in, in Colombia and some games were going to be held in Argentina. And that's what this Copa America was going to be about. And then usually when we have Copa America, since there are only 10 teams that compete in South America, we would invite, um, you know, two teams in order to have three groups of four teams. And essentially, you know, um, the top two of each group would go would, would go through. And then the two best um, the two best third place. I mean, sorry, that yeah, the two best third place teams would would go through as well. So, um, you know that uh, didn't happen. You know, so, um, you know that the the idea the idea for everything that was going going to happen uh, that it just it just didn't turn out that way, of course. So, um. So what ended up happening was that um, Colombia, there was, uh, you know, there's a lot of political unrest in Colombia at this at this time. And there's also issues with COVID, of course. So they decided not to do it there. And then uh, Argentina also had a rise in COVID cases. So they say we're not going to do it there. And then moves to Conmebol. Conmebol decides instead of canceling it, we're going to move the whole um, we're going to move the whole tournament to Brazil. To even you know, which was crazy to me, at least in you know, in my opinion, because Brazil has, I believe at this point, and I you know, don't quote me on it, but that I think they had the highest amount of cases in South America, and the highest amount of deaths of COVID in South America, at this point, even so much so that the Brazilian team at some, uh, you know, there was some discussion where the Brazilian team was saying that they did not want to play the Copa América. Who knows what happened? But at the end of the day, it was played there, but it was not. Um, Again, you know, Colombia and Argentina were the one, two places that were actually setting up to be um, to be the you know hosts of this thing. So moving it to Brazil, all of a sudden, you know, I'm pretty sure, as you could tell, it seemed like it. A lot of the pitches were not in the best shape. Um, it didn't seem like they were, um, you know, they they kind of just had to take it 
um, decide rapidly to, to, you know, host this. And I think, you know, and then also having, having two groups of five where kind of the top four go through, um, you know, just made it really, um, you know, it, it made it strange, you know, that, um, you know, the, um, it made it strange that, you know, they were going to, um, that, that no, they, it just, it took away the the risk for uh, some of the teams involved. So you kind of saw a lot of, I would say, you know, a lot of half-assed football and, um, you know, Reynaldo Rueda, Rueda from the Colombia perspective, um, Reynaldo Rueda tried a lot of different formations and a lot of different um, lineups in order to kind of get a better idea of the team because he hasn't been at the helm for he hasn't been um, at the helm of the Colombia team very long at this point. He's only played two games from the World Cup eliminations and then, um, you know, this Copa America. He has coached them before, um, but um, many years ago, but uh, this is his second stint with the team. But it was almost like he was still trying out to figure, you know, what he wanted to do. So Brazil absolutely looked fantastic. Um, Argentina didn't look that great at the beginning. Um, I was actually surprised, um, you know, a lot of the other teams just did not look good as well. You know, you know, you have your Bolivia, Venezuela, um, Peru is, is always a surprising team in the sense that they, they, they do hustle. They have some good players on the team, um, and they do fight like hell and they have done doing so in the past few years, even, you know, getting to uh, their, you know, first world cup in many, many decades, which was in Russia. So Peru is also, has been a solid team as of late and, you know, they made it, um, to, they made it to the, uh, to the last 16 as well. Um, I'm sorry, the, the semifinals as well, but, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would just say the football wasn't the greatest. I wasn't paying attention much to, you know, I don't want to talk too much about it because I wasn't paying much attention to it other than the football that was being played by Colombia and then just the final, of course, because I was watching the final, um, you know, and I did try to catch some of the other games, of course. But I think it was also, you know, the, the factor of the marketing of it, uh, the, you know, the fact that it was kind of slapped together last minute and everything that was going on politically in Colombia, the you know, the COVID situation in South America. Whereas in Europe, you know, we were seeing with this Euro, it was almost the return to somewhat of a normal um, opportunity to see international football with, you know, you know, the stadium in Hungary, of course, was absolutely packed. It was amazing to see that. It was amazing to see, you know, Copenhagen and some of these other places that were allowing a lot of people in. Um, you know, I think it was Baku and Azerbaijan as well, um, that it looked like they were, you know, completely, there was a lot of people in the stadium. And then, of course, Wembley. So, you know, the opportunities to see football with fans again, um, the surprises that were coming out of the the that were coming out of the Euro competition, um, you know, the the surprises in the sense that some of the best teams crashed out or the teams that everybody thought were the favorites crashed out. And, you know, we kind of got some big surprises with teams like Denmark and Switzerland and, and uh, Ukraine, um, Sweden, of course, getting through. You know, there was a lot of, you know, surprises in that sense. Um 
And there was just a lot of like, you know, really, really, uh, in, I would say just really, the, if you were, if we were going to talk about like storybook endings and narratives in football and stories to talk about of, you know, last ditch efforts and, you know, playing to the final whistle, you didn't see that in Copa America. You did see it. You saw a lot of it in the Euro Cup. And I have to say it was, um, for me, the best tournament of the summer. Um, I was excited for every single game. And uh, it sucks because I, you know, being from, from Latin America, you know, I would say that for Copa America and I'm usually very excited about Copa America, but it just, it just seems so haphazardly put together that, uh, haphazardly put together that it was just, um, uh, I wasn't happy about it. And then, uh, you know, I, I just didn't, wasn't that interested in it. And then the game, you know, I think the final, um, of course, you know, it was, it was messy, uh, you know, Argentina versus Brazil, which is always a huge game. Um, and it had all the thing, all the makings of, you know, sort of the rough, and we kind of saw that the rough play, the, um, but I would say, you know, you know, the other problem with the, the South American football was the VAR, the, 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 the refing is just always so all over the place. Um, and, and, you know, it was insane, you know, for me, you know, there was a, the, the game against Brazil in the group stages for Colombia, where the ball hits Nestor Pitana, who was the, you know, the, the, the ref, and he doesn't, he acts like he's about to stop the play, puts the whistle to his mouth, is about to blow the whistle, all the Colombian players stop, and then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, just let it go, and then, you know, Brazil scores a goal, the game's tied, and then in the last minute, they go to, you know, in the last, uh, they give like 10 minutes of extra time, and then Casemiro scores, uh, which I can't hate it because it's Casemiro, but of course it was just the the weirdest sort of anti-regulation or against FIFA regulation sort of call. It made no sense whatsoever, but um, it wasn't going to make a huge difference uh, at the end of the day, though, you know, because Colombia still moved on. But it was still that, you know, sort of that uh, thorn in our side when it came to, for me being a Colombia fan, um, a thorn in our side for... For losing that game, you know, for losing that game when, you know, we were, you know, I feel like we were being the better team at that point or we're playing better, um, you know, with huge, you know, that's another thing. I think that things that some of the narratives that came out of Copa America were, you know, the, the you know, um, Brazil looked absolutely phenomenal until they, they sort of, they started until they hit sort of the, the, the knockout rounds and then they kind of slowed down and you were one, a lot of people were wondering if the things that we saw in the beginning were simply, you know, because they weren't playing, you know, they, they weren't playing the best uh, opposition at that point. Um, Cause then they looked weak. I would say, I think the link up between Neymar and Paqueta was really the best thing that they had Casemiro as well. Of course, Militao had some good, uh, had a, had a good game as well, but um it seemed like a very disjointed uh, Brazil at in, in many in many facets of the game, um, in the knockout stages, and then in the, in the final, it was just a very uh, you know Di Maria, uh, I think Rodrigo de Paul and Di Maria, um, Di Maria showing once again that he is just a phenomenal player. I think you know honestly you know, and I hate to to say it, but I feel like. And I know people are going to talk about it, but uh, you know, I, I just feel like he's the best player on that Argentina team that that played in um, in the Copa America, at least in the final and in the knockout rounds. 
Um, and especially DePaul had an amazing game. Um, DePaul now going to, I believe, going to Atletico Madrid, which is going to make that team uh, even more of a nightmare. He's a, he's another great player out of Argentina. Um, he had a great game, and Di Maria had a great game. Um, and they were the ones who ended up winning it, uh, winning it for Argentina. Of course, Messi is going to get all the accolades. Um, but the, and the story is obviously going to be about him getting his first international title. But, um, you know, he's he definitely owes it all to to, I think, uh, to Di Maria and DePaul in that game. And of course, you know, the the performance by by uh, Dibu Martinez, you know, the, the goalkeeper for Argentina, who, although, you know, he talks shit to the Colombian players and all that stuff, I, I you know, I think that's that's sort of the crap, you know, all that kind of stuff happens in football. Um, I guess there is rules against it, but I don't really, you know, the only thing I guess I didn't like is like where you start like cursing at the other players, you know, but uh, trying to play mind games with them. I'm not the type of person that says, ah, oh, you shouldn't do that or whatnot. I mean, I come from a fighting background and, you you know, people talk shit all the time in fighting, you know, so it, it's part of the, it's not, it's not, um, uh, how would I say? We don't encourage it, but it, it happens. And then so some fighters do it and some fighters don't. And I guess the same thing goes into football. Some teams are not like that and some teams are totally like that. And they, they were fired up, man. They wanted to win. And then at the same time, uh, for from the Colombian perspective, I was just bothered by the fact that we used two center backs uh, like Jerry Mina and, uh, you know, and Davinson Sanchez to try to shoot penalties. Um, I don't think your center back should ever be shooting penalties. I think I, I wrote it on Twitter at one point and I was like, unless you are a center back named Sergio Ramos, you shouldn't be taking penalty kicks, you know? Um, and especially in a, in a, in a game where everything is on the line. Um, and then Yerri Mina, you know, I, he brought it on himself, like celebrating a penalty kick, get scoring it, um, like you scored a goal is kind of dumb because you have to wait until all of them are done to really like act like you won, you know? So, you know, I don't know. And I, and I don't, you know, and I would say I, I'm Colombian, but at the same time, I just don't think he's a great defender, um, you know, um, to be acting that way. And so I guess that kind of irked, the Argentina players when they saw that against Uruguay. So it kind of bled into the game against Argentina. Um, and it was a way of getting into their heads into the Colombian team's heads. But then you saw, like if you put our strikers, you know, if you put our forwards, of course, you know, you put Borja and you put Cuadrado, both of them scored their penalties. And then Cardona, you know, I'm not a big Cardona fan either. He's, he's creative on the ball, but he's slow. And, um, Colombia needs, uh, as uh, whether he's fit or not, or playing his best football or not, or fighting, or like I'd say, he's whether he's arguing with the coach or whatever it is, he's issues with the federation. It's like you should take the best players that you have, and James Rodriguez is one of the best players that Colombia has, and I think they would have gone. I don't know if they would have gone further, but um, I think he would have been a huge asset to have on the pitch. Uh, regardless, you know, uh, apparently he was healthy. At least that's what he says to play. And there was some sort of bust up or dust up, as you would say, with with uh, Rueda, who is Colombia's coach. I don't know. But uh, so at the end of the day, Argentina. So at the end of the day, I got, you know, I'm going all over the place. But 
Colombia side, um, Colombia, you know, Colombia, Colombia gets gets out. Uh, Brazil beats Peru as well in a in another, uh, you know, which was a pretty solid game as well. Uh, then Colombia gets third place, beating Peru three to two with two Lucho Diaz goals, which I would think the standout performer. Um, if we were aside from the Brazil and Argentina team, I have to say is probably Luis Diaz um, from Colombia. I think he's somebody to take a look at. I mean, he's also already been performing really great at Porto. We all know that Porto is a phenomenal, um, a phenomenal kind of a breeding ground for talent. And uh, he's just going to be another player that comes out of there. Um, and there's been a, quite a few Colombians that came out of there. Of course, you know, Jamel Rodriguez being one of them, uh, Falcao being another another one of them. Um, this is going to be, you know, and then other players, great players have also come from from Porto, such as Militao, uh, you know, Pepe. You know, there's a lot of great players that have come from there. So um, it's going to, I would see, I would like to see what's going to happen with him um, and, and whether he's going to take another step in Europe or he's going to stay with Porto. Um, but I would think after this, after this uh, Copa America, a lot of people are going to be knocking on his door. And then with Argentina, I mean, as much as I don't want Messi to lift an international trophy because I'd rather, uh, you know, have, you know, Barcelona fans cry and Messi FC people cry. Um, you know, he got it. He got he, he got the international trophy and, uh, you know, more uh, more titles to add to his list. I mean, like, again, he is an absolutely phenomenal player, if not one of the best of all time, could be uh, arguably the best of all time, of course, and I will give you that, um, even as a Cristiano fan. Uh, but Cristiano also got the, uh, you know, the Euro, uh, sorry, the Euro Cup uh, golden boot. So, you know, there's a lot of things there, too. Uh, both guys are just phenomenal at what they do. And, um, you know, so kudos to Messi and kudos to the Argentina team for that win. Um, but I see just didn't seem to show up. I mean, they, they, they were, it was Neymar and everybody else. It's uh, that, that's what it, it feels like to me for that, with that Brazilian team. Neymar is a fantastic player. You could say what you want about him diving and whatnot, but he is a phenomenal player. And, um, and, and it just seemed like nobody else was, uh, you know, playing to his level <clears throat> in that game. Um, so moving to the Euro Cup, I mean, uh, I'm an Italy fan, so I was happy that Italy won. Sorry for everyone that was going for England. Um, so here's a couple things I wanted to talk about, I guess, talking about the Euro Cup and everything like that. It is a absolutely insane thing to me, uh, you know, the, with the Euro Cup. It, the thing that's insane to me is with the England game, I – you know, the, the, the reason I dislike England is for that. I mean, I, I just dislike the fans. I don't dislike the players. I dislike the fans of England. And obviously, I'm not going to lump everyone into the same boat because there are classy England fans. But you have a terrible amount. Of, and in this, in this, yes, there are terrible fans everywhere. So you can say that. But there are, it, you know, there are terrible fans on, for every single team. Um, but England being such a large um i would say such an important nation um a storied nation when it came to comes to football of course you know being the inventors of the sport per se and then being of course the you know where the premier league the most popular league by by 
many many standards, but also of course uh, the league that uh, your pundits and fans believe is absolutely and unequivocally uh, better than everything else, um, better than every other um, league. And to have to hear that time and time again, being a La Liga fan and being a fan of all football, to be honest with you, um, is really annoying. And I think uh, in a lot of ways also the the nastiness that, uh, you know, there is nastiness in football, but the nastiness that does come out on certain things, like, of course, the things that were said about um, the young German girl, the booing of a national anthem, um, that kind of stuff. I mean, yes, I, you know, I don't care if, you know, obviously there was world wars or whatnot, but none of the players that are on the pitch had anything to do with that. Um, and, you know, and so all of that stuff that is like brought this animosity has brought this sort of political hatred, but it's, it's strange because it didn't even seem like it was that it was like, you know, just being dicks for the sake of being dicks. I don't know. It's, it's, and you could say it's all fans do this, but at the same time, all fans do do it. But I mean, but yeah, I mean, sorry, not all fans are like that. And yes, there are bad fans, but yes, there are there are assholes everywhere. But it doesn't give you the because there are assholes everywhere it doesn't give you the right to be an asshole, you know? Um, because that's just you know, you know, just you know, because somebody else is being a dick doesn't mean that you have to be a dick, you know. You could take the high road and be like, hey, man, that's not how we are. Um, but that's what happens. And unfortunately, and then and and then what happens is it gets played off as, oh, you know, that's football. And if you don't uh, and, uh, you know, this whole idea now that sort of came about during COVID where it's kind of like, you know, the world has become soft now or whatever if you decide, you know, if you get offended by certain things. And it's not about being offended. It's just about being, I don't know, sport, showing sportsmanship, showing, showing class, not being, once again, using that word, not being assholes. And I think what happens with England is that a lot of people get fed up because of the fact that there are so many asshole fans um, that the pundits that are out there seem to only believe, and unfortunately, I think the problem with the English pundits are that they only believe they believe only English football exists and no other country has great football. Um, many of them, not all of them, of course. Um, they only believe that they have the best football, that they have the best players, that they have the best league. Uh, and it just tickles me in the sense that I love it um, and I'm happy about it, is the fact that Italy, where the majority of the squad is made up of players from Serie A, which everyone calls a farmer's league, which is a term that I absolutely fucking hate too, because I am a, I am a fan of all football. Um, yes, I don't watch maybe the Eddie Divise or um, I don't watch league unclosely, um, but I do try to catch games here and there. Um, I love the I love La Serie. I love uh, the the Italian Italian football, um, and you know with the amount of time with the amount that it's been crapped on, to see a team that has been completely made up of supposedly these farmers league players, uh, win the Euro makes me happy. You know, um, wasn't a team full of Premier League players aside from who Jorginho. Uh, who happens to be on Chelsea, 
Emerson, who happens to be on Chelsea but didn't play that much this year. I mean, sorry, the, 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 during the Champions League for them. Um, and Berratti, who plays for PSG, you don't really have anyone else there that is outside that that I'm sorry that plays outside of Serie A. You know, so it is really a um, for me it was a great thing to see, and 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 they were playing the best football. I, I think uh, they were playing the best football throughout every single game that they had, with the exception of Spain, who happens to play a similar style of football, which was trying to keep possession. Um, you know, trying to tire out, I would say tiring out the tiring out their opponents by making them chase the ball for the entire game. Um, you know, Italy and Spain, I think were, I mean, Spain wasn't playing great, but, uh, in their in dire need of, 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 you know, just finishing, you know, and of course, you know, I was happy that they lost because I didn't like, I don't like Luis Enrique, but. Uh, they did surprise people more than, uh, you know, people give them credit for. And at the end of the day, you know, as much as I don't like Luis Enrique and as much as I was going sort of going against Spain because they obviously didn't take Madrid players, um, you have to be real. I mean, which Madrid players, aside from Nacho, which Madrid players that were Spanish were they really going to take besides Nacho? And Sergio Ramos was really injured. Um, who were they really going to take? You know, uh, Lucas Vasquez, of course, was somebody that you would include, but he was injured as well. Um, Isco was not somebody that I would, uh, you know, I mean, he's performed well when he plays on the national team. But I kind of get where Luis Enrique was going, but it was kind of that whole uh, spectacle of not taking Madrid players almost on purpose, it seems. That bothered me. And of course, since I'm not from Spain, I don't really have to care about it. So, um, you know, because it was a big thing in the media of how Madridistas were supposedly in, in Spain, of how Madridistas were supposedly anti-Spanish because they were going against the Spanish national team simply because they were against Madrid. I mean, so they were against Luis Enrique for not taking Madrid players. Um, and so there was that big division that's obviously going on in Spain. And there's that's a whole other issue there. But uh, I was happy to see them go out. Um, I didn't think they had the best quality aside from, you know, aside from, I mean, they have a good quality. Uh, you know, like I said, the, the, the Spanish football, the tiki-taka, the, the, the good passing, the, the passing, the keeping the possession, the high press, being able to, uh, you know, keep possession. And then when they lose possession, immediately regain possession. I mean, that's been Spain's game for years now at this point. But when you don't have the players like Xavi, Iniesta, um, and, you know, make that, you know, and, and not even that, but making great passes to forwards like David Villa or Fernando Torres or these other players that were able to finish the plays, um, that's where Spain is is losing out in the sense that, you know, you know, I, and I was happy for Morata because, you know, there's nobody needs to be shit on like that. Um, so, I mean, at least, you know, he's, you know, he scored and he shut people up, but then, you know, he, he, he misses the final penalty. Um, you know, so that, that, that was kind of sad for him, but at the same time, he kind of shut a lot of people up, of course, too. But, you know, um, going back to the England game in Italy, I was just happy that they were able to shut everybody up and especially, uh, I think for England, the other thing that didn't help him was Sterling's dive because that was a clear dive in the game against Denmark. And of course, Denmark were sort of a 
I was going for Denmark, but I have a one of my close personal friends is from Denmark, and so we were talking during the the entire time uh, while he was you know he was here, and then he flew actually to Copenhagen to watch the game, um, to just you know be with his family and whatnot, but also watch the Euros there with his peeps. And of course, I was you know rooting for Denmark because they were the dark horse, and I've ever you know the things that happened with Ericsson and then squeezing through, and how they seem to have just come together and were playing some really great and solid football. To sort of lose to to lose out that way, I mean, I, I, yes, you could I, you know, and I give it to everyone uh, to the English that and to different pundits that were saying you know. England deserved to win or were playing better football at that point. And Denmark was pretty much locked trying to just survive until penalties. But don't rob it from them. What is VAR for? What is VAR for if these types of things are not called? You know, soft penalties are still soft penalties. Uh, you know, and they shouldn't be given. Like if it's, it's a light touch, come on. It's a contact sport people. Like, why are these things given to them? You know, he barely touched Sterling for him to go down. If at any, for him to go down like that and give that penalty. It's insane to me that VAR with this, if that's what it's for, if it's so that you can see it, they don't just call the guy and tell him, listen, man, that is not a penalty. I understand there's all this thing about like, you know, the ability to overrule and overruling the center. And I guess maybe you don't want the the, the ref to lose face. I don't know. But you, the whole point of VAR is to make the game, isn't it to make the game a little bit more fair, right? To, to, to make sure that if somebody scores a goal and from an offside position, it's not a goal. Um, if somebody scores a goal when they handled the ball, uh, let's say, you know, like a la Maradona with the hand of God goal. If there was VAR, obviously he wouldn't have scored that because it would have been reviewed. But at the same time, it's like, what, if that's what VAR is for, why are we not calling that shit? You know, it, if, if, you know, if the center, if the main referee says that's a penalty and VAR comes and says, listen, man, it doesn't look like a penalty to us. You should go take a look at it. Then go fucking take a look at it. You know, don't just say, okay, you know what? Or, you know, we're, I feel like the conversations are like, oh, well, you do it. You know, I don't know. Leave it up to you. I mean, it's kind of like there's a, it's this argument. It's almost like a, like a married couple's argument where it's, you know, about trying to go out to dinner, you know, where the man says, where do you want to go, honey? Where do you want to go to dinner? And she's like, ah, whatever. I'm down for whatever. And then you say, you want Italian? No, not really feeling Italian. Uh, you want to get hamburgers? No, I'm not really feeling hamburgers. Uh, you want to get Chinese? Nah, not feeling Chinese food either. You want to get Indian food? No, I'm not feeling it either. So then you know what? It's not whatever I want. Right? Because it's like your wife says whatever you want, and then you give her five different options, and she says, nah, not none of those. It seemed like that is the argument that's going on between these guys. It's like, is it a penalty? I don't know. You decide. Uh, I think it is. But is it? Maybe you should take a look at it. You think I should take a look at it? Yeah, we think you should take a look at it. Nah, I don't want to take a look at it. Well, we really think you should because it kind of looks like he touched him. But did he touch him? We think he did. You did? Uh, I guess you could say he kind of did. I don't know. It's up to you. Okay. 
you know, I, nah, don't even worry about it. Just call it a penalty. Like, that's the kind of conversations that are going on. Like, it should be just fucking go look at it or tell them, no, it's not a penalty. That person in the VAR room should be able to override, like, not override, but at least have the balls to be able to, like, legitimately tell the person, the, the you know, the main ref, what's his, uh, I, I forgot who it was, uh, the ref in this case, but um, whether it's, uh, what's his name, Felix Brick or, or, um, uh, Kripers or whatever this guy's name is that was that was doing it today, or whether it's Gil Manzano or uh, uh, Cerro Grande or whatever, whoever it is you know, and being the main the main ref and tell them like, listen, man, it doesn't look like a penalty to us up here. You should go look at it. Like having the actual balls and the actual uh, how would I say like. M- fortitude to say listen man you gotta go look at it it's not a penalty not sort of leave it up to him because if he makes a bad call he made a bad call and var should be there to make sure he doesn't make a bad call so go look at it because it was a terrible freaking call and that's the kind of shit that leaves everyone sort of like well what is var for then it's it's almost like we're and then they you know you you barely see the re- repetition. Sometimes they don't show it to the crowd. It makes no sense to me. And I and I kind of, I mean, I don't follow the NBA, but I at least enjoy the NBA that you can kind of see like what the refs are looking at. You know, like when, um, when a ball goes out of bounds and they try to figure out who was the last one to touch it. And it could be, a, you know, it could be the end of the game. So it's going to essentially be a play let's say for a final possession or something that could change the game around if the game is, you know, simply a matter of, uh, you know, a two point or three point difference, you know? So those kind of calls, especially in this case, a penalty changes the game. So those kind of calls need to be made. I don't care if it takes long. I mean, at least I don't. And it shouldn't take long. It shouldn't take forever to do that. You know, that's what the technology is for. So you can see like, Ah, that's a soft penalty, man. Don't call it, you know? And I think at that point of the game, you you would also kind of uh, go by, by, I don't know, by the, the, this, the way the game is going. Like, was it a dirty tackle in the penalty box? Was it a hard tackle in the penalty box? Or was it something soft in the penalty box that right now with maybe two minutes left in the game, just let them go to penalties instead of, you know, giving a dubious penalty call. It just makes no sense to me. That's what VAR is there for. Um, And I would say the same thing. Listen, guys, I watch games for Real Madrid. I watch games for Colombia. I watch games for the teams that I am, I am fan. I am a fan of, and I hate winning. I hate winning in that manner. You know, if it wasn't a penalty, I'm angry about it. You know, even let's say I could be happy because let's say Real Madrid is going to score off the penalty and take the lead and potentially win the game. But it leaves a sour taste in my mouth because what it does is it 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 makes me feel at the end of the day that now the people that feel that Real Madrid cheats all the time or whatever have something to say and have ammunition to use, you know? And I'm not talking about the ones that, you know, post on Twitter every little touch or something to call it a foul because there are plenty of people that want to look and make a mountain out of molehills. But 
those small penalties need to be like those small things uh, need to be revised. You know, you need to have consistency in this thing. And this is this is this type of you know thing where he dives and gets a penalty call was terrible. And that's why everyone was like, you know, wanted now Italy to win to essentially save football, I guess, in a lot of ways. Because, once again, people people hate the English. People hate the English. Uh, maybe it was because, uh, you know, maybe it was because of the British Empire at some point. Maybe it is sociopolitical, uh, you know, or whatever. But there is an arrogance. And, you know, and I think Luka Modric said it best, I think, uh, recently when he, you know, when he was playing in the Euros before the Euros about, you know, when he was playing for Croatia and he was asked about, and he said there was an arrogance that sur- that he didn't feel it was the player them- players themselves, and I don't feel it's the players themselves. It- it's And I don't even think it's Gareth Southgate. I think he's doing an incredible job with the, with the English national team. Um, uh, it's it's just the, the the a lot of the pundits around there like Gary Neville and Tim Sherwood and some of these Sky Sports assholes uh, and you know all these guys coming out and it's like nothing exists outside of outside of England, you know, uh, and we all know that that's not true and they know that that's not true. You know, if if we were looking at club football, they know that they get their ass handed to them all the time. You would think that a team, and then going back to the national team, okay, well, let's talk about club football for a second. Obviously, what was it? Something like the last eight times they faced a a La Liga team uh, in a final uh, of club football, they've won zero, you know? Um, and then to look at England, you know, England, you know, that you haven't won a major trophy in God knows how long. You would think that by now, you know, you're not the hottest shit for you to be talking like you are consistently, you know, um, and that is what bothers a lot of people. And then, you know, to have that situation with Denmark, um, kind of put a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. And I like a lot of the players, you know. I feel terrible, though. Um, I would have to say, you know, going to the game today, I feel terrible for Saka. I feel terrible for Rashford. I feel terrible for Jadon Sancho, you know. Um, But I think I feel the worst for Saka because he just looked like he was absolutely destroyed after he missed that. Penalty, the final penalty. But I could, I, I think it could have been, you know, just a bad call. And in Sa- in Southgate made a bad call there because, you know, bringing somebody off the bench who's not even like, I don't know how we say, like, you know, we say it in Spanish, like, no han calentado, you know, they're not warmed up. They're not, they're not in the, I would say, you know, uh, the moment of the game, they haven't absorbed it yet. They haven't been on the pitch for very long. Um, they're still very cold, you know. Uh, you could say they're fresh, but then you can say they're also cold. They're not really uh, warmed up in the sense that, yes, they probably are warming up on the sideline, but it's different. They're not like mentally plugged into the game yet. For you to bring them on at that moment young guys too not even guys with like massive amounts of experience i would you could kind of get away with it and say you know you brought these guys on because they have like massive amounts of experience that's like saying 
you brought on like Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi, uh, you know, from the bench in the last few minutes in order to score penalties because these guys are some of the greatest of all time in doing it. But to bring on guys who are young guns, you know, the likes of Rashford and Sancho was a mistake. Just a mistake in judgment. I mean, but it would, you know, who knows what would have happened. Like, so if he wouldn't have brought them on and they would have lost, people would be asking, why didn't he bring them on? Um, Why didn't he make any changes, right? And if he does bring them on, so it's kind of like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, you know? So, but I feel terrible for that kid, Sokka, man. I don't, I don't even know how old is he. What is, but he's a, he's a young kid. He's like 18, 19, something like that. Terrible, man. That, that, you know, and, and with all the, you know, I know the racist abuse that these guys suffer in England, you know, and it happens to be three black players and you know they're going to get it from these fucking troglodytes and, and losers that are on Twitter that hide behind all these, um, you know, uh, Twitter handles and they're going to rain down all this crap on these poor dudes. Um, that part is what I dislike, you know, uh, that part is what we would love to have to avoid because if they win, then they wouldn't get that. But that's, it, it shouldn't be only about, you know, winning, you know, you shouldn't be nice to people simply because you won, uh, or appreciate players simply because you won, you know, when you lost, they did a great job either way, but it was, it was a penalty shootout, you know? And uh, there's also an error there by Southgate in bringing them on, I think, um, at least just to, just to shoot penalties, in my opinion. But besides that, I feel like the game, uh, you know, they came out rapidly. They came out energetic. Um, they scored the first goal, uh, you know, via Luke Shaw. You know, they were attacking. Um, you know, they went with, you know, they went with three, three, three center back. I mean, sorry, you know, three defenders and the wing backs and Luke Shaw and Trippier, you know, so is it Trippier? No, I'm thinking about it. Is he French? Is that like a French background? Is it, it was just Trippier, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> so they were using those guys, them as wing backs and they were playing well, they scored, but then they just seemed like they sat back and were, Really content because well, I mean I think Italy of course terrible terrible performance just to you know say Chido Immobile had an absolutely forgettable forgettable um, Euro Cup the dude was a dud and he's usually great but if the team doesn't give him space he's not a striker that seems to be very good with his feet and very good on one on one situations. Or situations where he's like doesn't have the space to turn and shoot, um, or he has to think very quickly. It seems, um, it seems like he was just sort of he was out of sorts. Like he might be, it seems almost at this point, you know, you're thinking more of a poacher where he can, if you if the ball is put at his feet, he can score. But for him to do some of the work, you know, to turn and shoot or dribble past the player. Uh, dribble pass at least one defender or something he can't do it or he wasn't just able to do it but he was a he was just terrible I mean I like once again I just he was the weakest link in this Italian team um I feel throughout the entire Euro Cup and Barella who actually who performed masterfully in the Belgium game really did not do well in the last two games um for Italy you know he was I don't think he was at his best um against Spain and he wasn't at his best again today 
against England. But, you know, Chiellini and Bonucci are just two walls. Emerson did a great job. Um, he's, you know, he's not the best, but he did a great job, um, you know, picking up where Spinazzola left off, even though that guy is, is you know, was a revelation as well. Um, they, they, they all seemed, you know, they all were doing well. Um, Italy was doing well in the point of, once again, keeping possession, and then at that point, almost tiring out the English team, making them chase the ball the entire time. But the problem that I saw from the English team was, it seemed like since they saw that um, in the first half, Italy just simply could not find their way through, and that the defensive, um, you know, the defensive line for England was working so well. Um, they really were, they, you know, at that point, it seemed like they could just sit back and do that in the entire game, run out the clock and win one, nothing, um, uh, England, the second half comes along, obviously, um, obviously Italy's pushing their lines up They're they're, you know, they're pinning the, the, the English back, but the English are content at this point to be, to allow for so much possession. And Chiesa was having a phenomenal game breaking in, you know, trying to at least breaking in and trying to put dangerous balls across the box. Same thing with Emerson and Insignia on the left on the left flank, uh, Chiesa and Di Lorenzi on the right flank. The only thing they weren't finding is anybody in the middle, uh, any reference point in the middle because Immobile was not having his best game. Um, and I think it wasn't until really until they took Immobile off and put in Cristante and put in more people. So it almost, you know, where really you're where you're really playing almost as a false nine and Chiesa was floating all over the pitch, floating all over in the front where they the defenders from England sort of lost that reference point. Um, you know, they, they were sort of left tracking down everyone because that was coming into the box. And even, even what was, uh, Chiellini was venturing up now and pushing the lines up really high and even getting into where he almost looked like he, he was almost part of the midfield at that point. Um, and the only one that was really in the back was Bonucci. Um, for me, that was just pushing constantly and being allowed to play on the flanks and England allowing them to do that for so long was eventually what cost them, the game in that sense, because you're just giving away possession to a team that's was is better. I mean, we've seen in this entire in this entire Euro Cup was better in possession. You know, better in possession, uh, cleaner passes, very creative, trying to find these you know one two. Uh, one-two passes in the box, trying to break down the defense and trying to get in and break through. And they finally did eventually break through. Um, it wasn't the prettiest of goals, you know. It, it, it took a bounce off of uh, off of Pickford and then hit the hit the post and then w- bounced off to Berati and then you know Bonucci, you know, kicks in uh, the rebound. But that's gonna be bound to happen when you're allowing so many of their players in the box and you're also so many. For me, I don't like having. Sometimes I get worried, even when I'm just watching football, when you have like those, you know, when people park the bus, because you can also have just bad luck where if somebody's just taking speculative shots, it's going to bounce off somebody and, you know, just go into the goal, you know? And I think that's, 
that's something that you could really, uh, that could become a huge problem. Um, and, and, and it eventually worked for the Italians. And then at that point, um, I think actually bringing Belotti on sort of gave England once again that, that number nine reference point. Um, so it actually played a little bit against, um, this is just my observation, played a little bit against what they felt they were doing well with, uh, not having a number nine, sort of having a fall, uh, a false nine. But, um, at that point, I, you know, I think nerves set in, uh, the history of the occasion, the, the huge, the, the, the amount of, uh, how would I say the, the, the nervousness, the, the 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 gravity of the situation, you know, started to set in for England. Being in front of their home crowd, feeling the nerves of that entire home crowd of are we going to lose again, you know, when we were pretty much for three quarters of the normal time leading this game. You know, and dominating. Uh, I would say not dominating, but but to a point where Italy was not causing as many problems. Um, they were they were making you know invasive runs and 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 passes and things like that. And I said the little one twos and going on up to the flanks and things like that. But they weren't able to really. Uh, they weren't getting in the way they 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 needed to. You know and. I think they just got content with that and that was dangerous. And then once they were scored on, it was 1-1, the nerves started to set in. And that is where the experience of guys like Giellini and Bonucci um, started to set in because I'm pretty sure they're telling all these guys, we can win this, we can do this. These guys are nervous. I think they start feeling it. They start feeling that they have the possession. You know, having the possession of the ball obviously is is no doubt making them feel confident that they can keep working the ball and try working the ball around and trying to get in and trying to get in and that they have the players not like Spain in the sense that they didn't feel maybe they had the best players to score goals. But I feel like with players like Chiesa, Players even like Bernardeschi, uh, you know, um, Locatelli, you know, just all, you know, Insigne, all these players, Belotti, having these players that you felt like, you know, if they, if we get this crack on goal, we could most likely score it. You know, if we get a, you know, a shot into the box uh, from a, from a corner or from a free kick, we have, you know, Chiellini and Bonucci in the box as well, who are two very experienced players that have height and can score, you know, so it, it, I think as a whole, they were feeling more confident and they looked more confident. Whereas you could, for me, at least you could see that the English team was slowly, I think history starts to weigh on you. You know, this, this, I don't like to say, like, I don't like those stats of like, hey, you know, these, this team has lost the last, I don't know, nine finals, uh, because n- really none of those players that are on the field might have been on any of those. It's almost just like saying, you know, we have bad luck. But I really think it's it's not about that. It's just those those moments start to weigh on you because that's when all those doubts, that's when all those stats, when you start like, reg- like even if the English press starts regurgitating those facts and the team is not trying to listen to them, 
when they start getting tired and they start seeing that they haven't won the game yet and start seeing that could it possibly go to penalties and that they haven't been able to get the goal in, it's those same doubts. It's those same thoughts. It's those same stats, those same bullshit stats, those same boogeyman stories of, you know, oh, we can't do this. Oh, you know, this is the same tired old story of the English choking or whatever that starts getting into their heads where, oh my God, we're going to choke. We're going to choke. We're going to choke. It starts getting into the entire fan base. It starts getting into the entire team. And that is what I think is England's demise um, in this game. And then of course, like I said, the, the choice of Southgate, you know, bringing in these young guns to try to finish the game, which I, you know, I don't blame him for it. I think it could have gone great for him. And then he would have been looked at like a genius uh, and it could have gone badly, which it did, you know? Um, so, and I, like I said, I feel terrible for those guys uh, because I, I don't have an issue with the England players. I just have an English <laughs> issue with a lot of the England fans and the English media and the way it's always looked at that, you know, they are this unstoppable force in football when they should know better already. Anyway, so that's my story and that's my podcast for, for at least for the Euro Cup. When it comes to when it comes to what's going on with Real Madrid, well, we you know we know that a lot of the players are back into training. Um you know what? I'm gonna put on the 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 outro music here. And just kind of leave it as an outro, I guess. But we already know, um, obviously, that the players are back in training. Some sad, sad things. I mean, seeing Sergio Ramos in in the PSG jersey just breaks my heart. I can't believe he's there. It, it bothers me to a point where I'm like, I don't want to call him a pesetero. I don't think he's only all about cash, but it's at the same time. What else can you say, you know, uh, for somebody who said he would play for free, which obviously we know no one's going to do that. It's just a figure of speech. And for anybody to take that literally, I mean, come on. But he really didn't do what he said he would do in, in a lot of ways, which was if you really if your team is in kind of dire straits um, and, you know, you could see right now they're doing everything they can to just get one player um, back, one player, which is Mbappé. They're doing everything they possibly can and might not even secure him. And the only thing we've, the only person we've signed is Alaba, uh, David Alaba. Um, and then, you know, potentially, you know, you could still lead this team. And you say you love it so much, then, you know, I, I, I would think, you know, if you really were loyal, then you would do that, you know. Um, you would take a pay cut. You would do what you can to make it work. And so it hurts me it hurts me as a Madrid fan that he didn't. But I love Sergio Ramos so much that I feel like, you know, it doesn't taint his legacy with Real Madrid in any way, you know. Um and I do wish him the best at PSG, but as a Madrid fan, it kills me to see him there, you know. Um and it bothers me. So it's simultaneous, you know, it's that simultaneously bittersweet thing. You know, love you, want you to do well, but at the same time, like you're a bastard for doing what you did, you know. Um, for being money hungry, you know, um, but yeah, 
that's how I felt about that. And then, you know, this whole Mbappe thing, what's going to happen with Varane as well, you know, that he hasn't responded to any of it. And, you know, by the time this comes out, um, uh, you know, by the time this comes out, we might have more news, you know. Um, so we have to see how that's going to go. But, yep, that's that's right now where we are with Madrid, sort of waiting for everything. And now, you know, the Brazil game is over, Brazil versus Argentina. So pretty sure these these guys are going to head back soon. Vinicius, Militao, um, Casemiro are going to head back soon. Um, the guys that are uh, played the, uh, the Euro Cup are um, on vacation right now, and I hope they're resting and in a hyperbaric chamber of some sorts um, and just getting, you know, ready for this season. Uh, you know, I feel confident, strangely confident, not because, and I'll leave you guys with this, um, I feel strangely confident. I always do that. Leave it so fucking loud, and it's not supposed to come in that loud. Um, I feel strangely confident because I like the, I like the, I like how serious Carlo Ancelotti and the team he's brought in uh, around him when it comes to physical, when it comes to um, you know the injury situation, everything that he's brought in as a management side of things. Uh, from the, from the, you know, from the, uh, you know, the, the prep to, to physically prepare the team for the next season and be ready for the next season. That whole situation I feel confident about. What I don't feel confident about is whether or not we're getting the players that we're going to need and that, uh, sorry, that those players are going to respond with goals. I, I mean, I actually feel pretty uh, solid with our defense with aside from Vallejo, um, you know, with the likes of Nacho, the likes of Militao, the likes of David Alaba, uh, with Mendy, which I, you know, hope we don't let him go. And if he, I mean, obviously asking for more money. I mean, I don't know what he's getting paid though. So if he is getting paid very little money, he should be after the season and the things that he's done and shown the promise he has, he should be, you know, getting paid what he's worth. But with the addition, you know, with with getting obviously guys like Carvajal, uh, having them back healthy, um, Lucas Vasquez, you know, the only thing that I really worry about, um, even having, you know, Odegaard back, Valverde back, uh, Modric, Kroos, Casemiro, you know, our midfield, Benzema, it's really just our wingers that I'm worried about. And and you know what? If we do bring back Gareth Bale, as much as I've kind of disliked the way he conducts himself in certain things with uh, with the way he's conducted himself at certain times and his attitude at certain times, if he can bring that same fire that he was showing at the end of the season and with Wales, then, you know, he is a, a very, he is an asset to the team. We can't say he isn't, but he isn't the best um, that we can hope for. Uh, will it be Rodrigo this year? Will Rodrigo, you know, you know, he what he didn't have the best season last season, but he's had um, great moments. I feel like he is the more complete player, better than Vinicius. Um, what is going to happen with Vinicius this year? How are we going to see? What is going to happen with Eden Hazard? Are we going to get Mbappe? Are we going to get somebody else before the end of the transfer market window um, closes? So that's what remains to be seen. You know, um, maybe I'll have more news next week. Maybe we'll have we'll be talking about more stuff next week. But that's it for now. I mean, right now it's all about seeing where Real Madrid is going to go in the next couple, in the next month, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, uh, you know, when the season starts. 
who are we going to bring? Are we going to bring in Mbappé? Are we going to finally be able to do that? What is going to happen with that? What is going to happen with Messi too? You know, in Barcelona, what's going to happen with Barcelona? Are they going to fall on their face and sell all these players like Guzman Dembele and Griezmann and be just Messi and uh, the the groundskeepers of Barcelona playing on the team because they know they don't can't afford anybody else but him? Uh, we would love that uh, and would probably laugh about it but uh it's it's just an interesting it's going to be an interesting now that these competitions are over it's going to be interesting to see what is going to happen with everything that's going on right now now that all of this noise from all of these cups is coming down and they have nowhere to hide i mean they're on vacation but i'm sure everyone's talking about what's going to happen and i'm sure calls are being made and ringing off the and, and phones are ringing off the hook and you know all sorts of things are happening um to sort of secure deals at the last minute and figure out what's going to happen for Real Madrid. And let's hope it's all positive, guys. Um, but we'll have more news on that as we get close to this, uh, to the end of, uh, get closer, sorry, to the beginning of the new season. And that's it for me, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Y nada más a Real Madrid podcast, which was really today uh, a lot about the Euros and Copa América. But uh, join me. We will be back from now on every Sunday with the video podcast as well. So check that out. And I will talk to you all again very soon. Thank you very much. And remember to support us on uh, Y nada más podcast on Twitter, Y nada más podcast on Facebook, and YNM podcast on, um, on Instagram. Okay? Thank you very much, guys. Talk to you again soon. This has been Y Nada Más, Al Real Madrid Podcast.